it's a really simple and effective platform to give, grow, and grant. And by that, I mean you can give any asset into your charitable giving account, and your account then grows its income through a variety of pooled funds that we offer, or you can work with a financial planner to grow that income. And then we help you actually execute those grants to over 200,000 nonprofits here in the U.S. and abroad. As the end of the year approaches and you're looking for every possible tax deduction, we revisit our conversation with Elaine Martin from Fidelity Charitable on how donor-advised funds can help you help others while reducing your 2017 tax burden. Pre-retirees have retirement jitters, and the Government Accountability Office says we've got a retirement crisis on our hands. And Big Al's got seven ways to teach your kids the value of saving for retirement to help them avoid both the jitters and the crisis. Plus, is there any way to undo rolling a 401k into a 403b annuity? And can Joe explain why a 60-40 mix of stocks and bonds isn't necessarily the best way to go without snapping? Let's find out. Here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. You were talking about this retirement crisis or something like that? The well, the, came out and says yeah, another... The, the you know? Government Accountability Office uh, came out uh, recently with a report that said uh, they warned of a retirement crisis. Now, sometimes we and others talk about the looming crisis, and you and I have sort of tried to get away from that because that sounds self-serving. Just, it's so it's, doom and gloom. It's, it, there's such a crisis, so come to us yes. because we know how to fix I it. I am the almighty savior. <laughs> So this is not from Joe and I. This is from our U.S. government. Right. So I'm just going to read what they say. So they're saying that they, they, they want to take a hard look at the ability of individuals to save for retirement on their own and the amount of employer-sponsored pension plans. So we, we all kind of know that there's fewer and fewer defined benefit plans. Pension, standard uh, pension yeah, plans. Standard pension plans, uh, like in the old days, maybe our, our parents or grandparents had. Uh, but there, a lot of companies do have 401k plans and things like that. However, about two-thirds of the folks working have a, have a retirement plan and one-third don't, which goes back to what we talk about all the time. How is that fair? So I got a 401k. I'm over 50. I can save $24,000. Next year, $24,500 into my 401k. Joe, let's say you work for a company that doesn't have a 401k. You're under 50. You can do an IRA for 5500 Right. I can do 24500 You can do 5500 Right. How is that fair? It's not. It isn't. It's BS. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I was, um, we created a new class. Um, I, I teach a retirement planning um, course. I have been for the last Ten years, and so I cr- I'm, I'm teaching a more of a wealth creation class for younger individuals. You know, 35 to 55 versus you know the standard 55 to 70. You know, this is what you need to do: set yourself up, create the retirement income, social security strategies, pensions, and so on. So I got into it a little bit there, Big Al. You did when it comes to because um, some got, questions. Uh, I, I think when it comes, you know, people my age, they they're, they're not understanding what they need to do, and they hear certain things in the right, such as you know. Um, I have this retirement plan through my employer, but the fees are too high, so I don't think I should be saving into it. And I was like, okay, well, what is what is your gauge on too high, right? 
And you have a 401k plan, save money into it because you have a company match and it's a pre-tax contribution or an after-tax into a Roth. I don't care what the fees are. That's a justification as to why I, I shouldn't save. So, yeah, exactly. It's just like, well, I don't want to, you know, I want to spend. I want to spend it all. Yeah. Well, you got to talk to luck so I can still save and then spend. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to spend, you know, because of this. It's just excuses. No, throw money at it. I understand that fees are a drag on your overall return. I get it. I've been doing this a long time. Right. However, if you take a look at someone that has a 401k plan that have saved into it minimal with a match versus someone that doesn't have a 401k plan, the person with the 401k plan will win every single time. Sure. Alan, I have seen thousands of you that come into our office that we can help, but I would say 90% of your liquid assets are in a retirement account. Most people don't have the discipline to save outside of a retirement account. They just don't. So I save into my 401k, I max that out, maybe I do a Roth IRA, and that's it. Everything else is spent, and which is fine. But if you don't have that 401k plan, because it's not out of sight, out of mind, out of your paycheck, then it gets very difficult to save. So True. I digress. Go yes, ahead. no, that's absolutely right. And the, so they also in this report identified that Social Security trustees project that at the beginning, uh, beginning in 2035, the trust fund will be unable to pay full retirement benefits, which is true. And so something has to happen between now and then, and they probably can. They probably can fix it, but. To do so will cause more people to pay more taxes, or maybe the retirement age will be delayed, or probably a combination of things. Some people are concerned, Joe, that they'll have means testing on Social Security, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. I, it's hard to say. Right. But that, well, there's means testing now on Medicare. Right, there is. Right, and, the more income that you make, then the higher Medicare premium that you and, have. And in a sense, they have it on Social Security, because the more income you make, the more the higher well, percentage of taxed. Social Security is taxable. So that's an issue. And then, of course, we're living a lot longer. So again, they, they focused on there's a lot less traditional defined benefit pension plans. Uh, about uh, a third of all private sector workers don't have an employer-sponsored retirement plan. Social Security has got some issues, and we're living a lot longer. Yeah, but here's the other side of this. I mean, people are resilient for the most part, and it's we're living a lot longer, so that means we're going to have more time of healthier life that we can continue to be in an occupation that right. is going to provide us with an income. Yes. You know, if you take a look in 20, 30 years, right, 70 is going to be the new 50. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, people are going to continue to work out. We're living a lot longer. And then they're still using these same old, all right, if you retire at age 60 and you live to 105, you're going to go broke. Uh, Yeah, Well, no, I'm probably going to work until I'm 75. Right. And then I'm going to get another career from 75 to 80 and, you know, do something online or whatever the new Google's or Internet's going to be. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, there's all this discussion about the gig economy and working part time and, and a lot of folks in my generation, Joe, the baby boomers, we want to remain productive even in retirement. And for some of us, maybe that's volunteering. Others will need the income and it's it's going to be working in some kind of job or or so, some kind of freelance thing or whatever, right? And, right? and you are absolutely right. And of course, when you're doing that, what happens is then instead of tapping your retirement accounts, you can let them grow further, right? And then, and then so then not only do they grow more, you're right. not pulling money you're not out. Pulling money out, and and you're, you're adding you're, to them. You're working into your retirement by doing something productive, which will probably give you a, a lot more 
passion and reason to get up in the morning, and and uh, you know you'll you'll be happier. Right. I think the whole um, definition of retirement needs to change in a sense. Right. right. Because we're still using old rules for a new age. Right. And so it's just looking at what are you trying to accomplish? What are your lifetime goals? How old are you? How much money that you have? And then making right. sure that you have a strategy and a plan. Right. That's the key. Is like all right. Well, here understanding what you need to do. Write it down, and then making sure that you you know just keep yourself on check. Right. right. And if you can't keep yourself in check, then you hire someone to do it, or have your spouse do it, or have a neighbor do it. Right. There's a lot of different quick fixes that you can do, and I don't think that there's a looming retirement crisis. But what the hell do I know? That's what the GAO says. Although they do say, Joe, real quickly, one of their suggestions is to promote universal access to retirement savings plans. Hey, I like that. I do. That's number one. Yeah, but then the contribution limits is going to be about twenty seven hundred bucks. Twenty four hundred. Yeah, twenty four hundred. That's it. <laughs> Make sure you don't find yourself in a retirement crisis. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download our free retirement readiness guide. This guide contains little known secrets about creating income to last a lifetime, making the most of your investing strategy in retirement, controlling your taxes, and much more. You'll learn seven plays to help get you retirement ready despite the uncertainties we may face. Download the free retirement readiness guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Alan, it's that time of the show. It is. We've got a guest. We have Elaine Martin. She's the Vice President, Relationship Management of the Private Donor Group at Fidelity Charitable. Want to welcome Elaine to the show. Elaine, are you there? I am. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to talk charitable giving, planning, donor advised funds, and disasters. Well, I think donor advised funds are becoming to be a, a hot topic um, down in Southern California, but across the nation. And so um, I'm really looking forward to sharing what we're doing with you. Hey, well, let's talk first. Um, t tell our audience a little bit more about Fidelity Charitable. Um, you know, what's your role there? What do you do? And, um, you know, what, what, what are some of the functions that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So, we um, are the oldest donor, national donor advice fund in America, and that means that we are um, working with donors across the U.S. to help them do more tax-efficient, high-impact grant-making. And um, what a donor advice fund is, it's a, it's a really simple and effective platform to both give, grow, and grant. Um, and by that, I mean you can give charitable asset or any asset into your charitable giving account. And um, then your account then grows its income through a variety of pooled funds that we offer, um, or you can work with a financial planner to grow that income. And then we help you actually execute those grants to over 200,000 nonprofits um, here in the U.S. and abroad. And so I actually work with uh, donor families around the country who are really interested in, in doing highly effective grant making. And um, last year alone, we gave out about $3.5 billion in grants to um, nonprofit uh, charitable organizations in the U.S. All right. So, you know, in real simple terms, right? So because we use donor advised funds with our clients quite a bit as a tax strategy if they're already, you know, giving to certain charities. And a donor advised fund is that instead of giving directly to the chair, let's say if I'm giving $10,000 a year to a, a certain organization. Um, what a donor advice could uh, fund do is maybe accelerate 
that tax deduction, if you will. And maybe they say, well, I'll put $100,000 in the donor advised fund because I know I'm going to be giving $10,000 a year, but maybe I need a big tax deduction this year. So I put $100,000 in the donor advised fund. I get that tax deduction in the year that I contribute to the fund. And then from there, I can distribute those dollars as I see fit to whatever charitable organization um, that I have some passion around. Is that a fair explanation? That's exactly right. It's about leverage. You get to give a single deduct, a single gift and get a tax deduction at that time and then give at the pace you want to the organizations that you most care about. And you don't have to give it all in one lump sum to one organization. You can really think uh, thoughtfully and work with your nonprofit partners to figure out um, how you want to do your grant making for the year and beyond. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a little like a private foundation, except you don't have to set up a nonprofit entity to do that. It's, it's much simpler. You're just setting up an account, right? That's exactly right. I love, I love describing it as um, a private foundation for everyone, and, and we really make it easy to – I actually manage a team of relationship managers who can serve as your – almost like your program officer of your foundation who will work with you to identify what your giving goals are, what your strategy might be, and then help you figure out how to actually work with those nonprofits directly um, to make it as simple for you as possible. If, if I know of an organization that I want to give to, um, is there like an approved list that, that you have to vet or could I give it to any organization that I see fit? If it's a 501c3 organization, um, IRS qualified organization, um, you absolutely can give to it through us. We do review all those, um, all the recommendations to make sure that they are doing um, response. If you designate it for um, hurricane relief, we'll make, we'll make sure that it is actually going to that, um, to the, program that you're recommending. Um, and and so that's absolutely fine. And we see many donors doing that. You know, in the first few days after um, the crisis, we saw a lot of giving to the Greater Houston Community Foundation, for example. Um, and that we hadn't yet recommended because we were waiting for confirmation on the fund that they were setting up. But that was an organization that many of our donors knew about and wanted to give to right away. And we absolutely supported that. Hey, thinking about disasters, uh, Elaine, it- uh, domestically versus internationally. It seems like a, a lot of people have a lot of causes internationally, but uh, but certainly there's things going on in the United States. Is is that changing in terms of, of where people are giving, or, or what are the current trends? Yeah, you know, international giving has been on the rise for the last few years, and um, we've actually seen a probably a 4 or 5% increase in grants going out to international causes over the last year or two. Um, and all our donors really do a great job in responding to um, international crises like the Nepal earthquake or um, the floods in India. Um, I think what we're seeing right now with Hurricane Irma is that we see an equivalent, we see a huge response around Harvey and what's happening in Texas um, because that was the, the longer term crisis that we knew about for the last couple of weeks. But we've had a ton of requests coming in from um, the Caribbean islands and donors interested in giving to those uh, more international causes. And we are working with organizations like UNICEF to support grant making um, internationally. So I think the the increasing trends around international giving and the world is becoming smaller. So we saw the Mexican earthquake happen. Um, we saw the uh, monsoons. 
um, in Asia and, and our own hurricanes happening all simultaneously, and we saw giving to all three of those things um, consistently by our donors. If you need more information on just about any financial topic you can think of, check out Your Money, Your Wealth and Pure Financial Advisors on YouTube for educational video clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Yes, you can actually see what Joe and Big Al look like in person. We've got videos on planned giving strategies for creating charitable tax deductions. Sound familiar? You can also watch and learn about Roth conversions and recharacterizations, how to pay 0% on capital gains tax rates, and do a pre-retirement review. There are literally hundreds of videos to get you up to speed on just about every money topic that affects you. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth and start binge watching with purpose. Check back regularly because we're always adding new videos. Welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. Big Al Klopine, he's a CPA. We're talking to Elaine Martin. She's over at Fidelity Charitable. Um, the website again is www.fidelitycharitable.org. Hey, let me ask you, you mentioned grant making. And so what, what, what does that mean or how does that relate to a donor advice fund? Oh, so, you know, when you make a recommendation of a gift to a nonprofit, we, we call that a grant. We call that, and I consider that grant making. So you don't have to be a big foundation to do, um, to make a contribution out of your giving account. This is, this is really just the recommendation of a gift from your donor advised fund out to the nonprofit that you want. And, and so for folks that have donor advised funds, it's, uh, are most of those, those, those suggested grants coming from the account holder, or are you guys in many cases recommending the, the charities yourself? Oh, well, we, may, we provide guidance on our website that the donors are really doing their own due diligence as well and making their recommendations um, beyond that. So, you know, in, in the first week of the um, response to Hurricane Harvey, we saw grants going out to many local organizations that um, Texas donors knew about, and then we saw um, large grant making to the, our guidance as well. So I think it's both. What is your website? Oh, it's fidelitycharitable.org, um, .org, and uh, yeah, we would love to have any, that's where you can look for guidance around both giving to hurricane response, but we also have strategic guidance around how to think about your giving. We have a great program called Boost Your Giving IQ, which gives um, guidance around how to think about creating a mission statement. What are your values and what early experiences might help inform how you think about how you want to give um, in response with your donor advice fund to improving the world? You know, I think that's great because I think there's a lot of people that you know, are charitably inclined, but they they really don't know where to start. They don't know what, I mean, they, they might have passions for something that, that they don't know even where to go to give to. Um, and they might start their own Google search. And then next thing you know, they, they might um, find what they think is a, a legit organization. But it, you probably know this w- way more than Al or I, but th- there's a lot of fraudulent, um, you know, individuals that take advantage of people, and, and especially in time of crisis. Uh, how do people protect themselves? Yeah, we recommend partnering with organizations like GuideStar and Charity Navigator, which are both organizations that review nonprofits and give them ratings around their around how they um, assess the effectiveness of those nonprofits and whether or not they are truly um, IRS qualified 
charities. And so we would recommend partnering with them. There's also the Better Business Bureau, which, of course, can tell you whether or not an organization is legitimate. Um, and I never underestimate the power of um, community and talking to others about what their experiences have been about a nonprofit that you've heard about or spoken to and, and looking through the website of a nonprofit and making sure that they really are doing what they're saying they're doing. Is it, uh, would, is it advantageous to have a donor advice fund when it comes to giving in a disaster situation, or is it just as good just to give directly? I think, I think in a disaster situation, you there's a strong emotional response, which can spur giving. And we empower our donors to take action, and the donor advice fund means you have a ready reserve available to react and to give you know, immediately when the crisis hits. And that's oftentimes you have that gut instinct, you see something and you, you want to respond. The donor advice fund means you don't have to think about it. You have to just go on to our website or, you know, call your relationship manager and, um, and say, I want to recommend a grant and, and make it happen. And I think that it's a really wonderful way because we do vet the charities. Um, we make sure they're accepting funds for the relief efforts. And we deliver those grants electronically daily. So that, you know, a lot of organizations, if you're trying to do it yourself, you might be giving and it might be you want to send a check. In Houston, for example, so the roads were closed. So a lot of those organizations couldn't receive checks because the post offices were closed. We want to be able to um, enable grants to hit the ground running and um, so that the nonprofits doing the great work can respond right away. You know, a couple of thoughts that I have is that if I'm going to be giving to a certain organization that I'm maybe not be familiar with, how do I know where, you know, how, how the capital is being utilized? You know, what, what are they actually doing with the money? I think we, um, we recommend working, you know, with those charities directly, asking them, how are you planning on responding to the relief efforts? You know, what are their processes around accounting and asking them, you know, what fiduciary oversight do you have for larger-than-normal contributions. Um, and I think working closely with those nonprofits is one way. Um, another way is actually working through us, as I said, through organizations like GuideStar to see what their um, ratios of spending are around and how experienced they are in these kinds of um, situations. And that goes not just for disaster, but for any um, kind of response that you might be looking to do. If you want to give around health issues or if you want to give around um, the arts, you can do the same thing. We're talking to Elaine Martin. She's Vice President Relationship Management for the Private Donor Group at Fidelity Charitable. A couple of last questions here for you, Elaine. Is that, all right, well, I don't have a ton of money, but I want is there like a minimum if if I'd like to give to several different charities, maybe 200 here, 500 here, 100 here? Or is this really geared towards someone that is giving thousands, um, you know, to certain organizations? You know, I think that's the power and the beauty of Fidelity Charitable. To open a donor advice fund, you can start that account with um, $5,000. So you can make a $5,000 gift um, and then distribute that in increments of $50, $100 to the organizations you care about most. Um, and, of course, you can give larger gifts. Uh, but I think it's a really wonderful entry point for starting to give and testing out what you might care about and seeing what the impact can be. 
And so all I have to do is, all right, so I open up an account at uh, Fidelity Charitable. I put in my five ten thousand $10,000, and then I want to give a couple hundred bucks to uh, these certain charities. And is that a website that I go to, or do I call and talk to a representative to s- send that money? Or h- how, did, how do I distribute the cash to the certain organizations where I want it to go? Yeah, so to open an account, it's three simple steps. It takes about eight minutes. I did it last week for a, a, a new donor of ours. Um, and you can do it online through fidelitycharitable.org. But equally, you can do it through your financial advisor, your CPA, your lawyer can work with you. Um, or you can call us, and we'll, um, we have a 1-800 number we'd be happy to share. And, um, and you can do it over the phone. And when you want to make the grants, same thing. You can just go on to our website, and um, there's a simple drop-down process, and you can get, make multiple donations, um, recommendations at the time, at the same time, or you can call us, and we will process those over the phone for you. Well, that's great stuff, Elaine. I really appreciate your time. Um, big plans for the weekend? Well, I'm actually going out to San Francisco to uh, support a funders collaborative at Stanford University, which um, we'll be looking at how we continue to support our donors in high-impact philanthropy um, in collaboration with other funders who are looking at the same issues, and so we're looking forward to that. Really? Well, I'm going to sit on my couch and drink beer and watch the Florida Gator football. Man, you are just all over she's, the place, Elaine. She's way more I mean, than you, us. Yes, totally. I'm just trying to lighten the thing up here. <laughs> You, you asked. Well, I, I know. I am a, a massive Patriots fan, so I don't know how that uh, plays out in Southern Cal, but I'm looking forward to watching the um, the team play as well. Yes, as you're feeding the homeless. Yeah. And, uh, cle- and came, up, came up with the new ideas to help everybody. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's Elaine Martin, folks. Well, probably one of the nicest, one <laughs> most wonderful person in the world. All right, we got to dig a break. Uh, she'll called Your Money or Wealth. We'll be back in a second. To learn how you can make tax-efficient charitable donations that go further faster through a donor-advised fund, call Your Money, Your Wealth at 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. Or email info at purefinancial.com. Get the tools for intelligent giving. Support any charity. Grow your gifts tax-free. Support all your favorite charities with a single donation. And get one tax receipt. Learn more about donor-advised funds. Call Your Money, Your Wealth at 888 888- 994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, seven ways to teach your kids the value of saving for retirement. For this segment, I would really like to focus on an article I just saw in Market Watch called How to Teach Your Kids the Value of Saving for Retirement. And I thought it was pretty good uh, because I think a lot of us uh, have kids or grandkids and, and sometimes it's sort of confusing what we ought to be telling them or, or, or some of the concepts. And, and so I'm going to highlight some of the things in this article. The first one, it said the magic of compounding, a dollar now equals $14 later. And uh, the concept here is that, um, like, the, the example is you invest a thousand dollars in the S&P 500, if you did that 30 years ago and just let it sit there for 30 years, then you would have 13, almost almost 14,000. Let's, let's say almost 14,000 is what they came up with. Now, interestingly enough, so that, you know, that's interesting, that, but to me that's not earth-shattering. But what is earth-shattering, I did my own calculation, 
which is this. What if you still save $1,000, but let's do it monthly. Let's do $83.33 per month. 12 months, that's $1,000. And let's just not put it in once. Let's do it every year, every month for 30 years. Uh, and that 30-year period, you've got $153,000. Now, that's that's starting to get interesting. And if, if you could do this for 40 years, you would have $390,000 just by saving $83.33 per month. That's 1000 bucks per year. And you know what? If you break that down to a day, it's less than $3 a day. And I'm pretty sure that if you thought about it, there's, there's a lot of ways to save two, three bucks a day and make this happen. And you think, you know what, if you could save 10 bucks a day, you know, that's almost four times. Now you've got over a million dollars if you do it for 35, 40 years. So I think a, a lot of young people don't really understand the compounding of money and how much that can make a difference. Second thing is to save the right way. By the right way is looking at those investment vehicles uh, that are going to allow you to put money in, uh, particularly retirement accounts that you don't touch. Because a lot of times when you save money in your regular savings account, you'll find ways to spend it. But if your son or grandson, daughter uh, has a 401k, 403b, they can put money into that. If they don't, they could set up their own IRA plan or Roth IRA. Maybe if they're self-employed, they could have a SEP IRA plan. Maybe you want to put money into a 529 plan for their college. So there's lots of ways to save. And, and I would say this, a lot of young people, when they're first starting out in their career, their salaries are not as high as they're going to be later. Their tax bracket's not that high. A regular IRA or a regular 401k contribution is, is probably not going to be nearly as effective as a Roth IRA contribution or a Roth 401 if they have them, because the tax deduction doesn't make that much difference when you're in a low tax bracket, but that compounding of income, interest, and, and growth for 30, 40 years, whatever it may be, all of that being tax-free, that's a huge advantage. And, and actually, to be honest, a lot of millennials are aware of that, and, and they're the ones that are saving the most into these Roth plans, and I think that's a, a great way to go. Next point is uh, the article talks about a better budget, setting up a budget, sticking to it, but that's sometimes difficult for, I would say, most people. Most people don't really have the interest or discipline to do that. So the workaround on that is to just simply pay yourself first, to have the money go directly to the 401k, to your Roth IRA, directly to your savings account, maybe all three, whatever it may be, whatever the case is uh, for for your kid or grandkid, and then it's out of sight, out of mind, then whatever's left you can spend. You have to do maybe a little planning to figure out how much to save, and I think without any planning at all, I would say a really good goal is 15% of your income. So what that means, let's say you make $100,000, which is which would be a great salary, but just because it's easy math, that would be $15,000, or if you make $50,000, 15% would be $7,500 per year, something like that. Now, something for uh, you guys, being the parents and grandparents, is you can make annual gifts of $14,000 per year 
for your kids or grandkids. And uh, a lot of people are confused about that. Do they get a tax deduction or how does this work? And the answer is no. There is no tax deduction, uh, but there's also no income for your kids or grandkids. So that's that's how gifts work. If you give more than $14,000, well, then you personally have to fill out a gift tax return and you may not have you may not be able to have as much estate tax exemption when you pass away. But then you want to think about, well, I don't just want to give them the $14,000. Maybe I can I can have them put it into a Roth IRA. And of course, Roth IRAs would be only $5,500. Uh, but uh, and maybe that's what you want to give. Now, they would have to be working. They would have to have earned income. But wouldn't that be a great way for you to ensure that their retirement's going to be better is to, is to give them, instead of giving them $5,000 or whatever the amount may be and then them spending it, why not opening up an IRA? They actually have to open it up in their name, but you can fund it as long as they have earned income. Or as I said, a 529 plan, that might be enough as well. Another point in this article is um, savings and how much is enough. And and this this is where a lot of people that there's it's it's hard. There's there's not a lot of guidelines on on how much you should save until Fidelity, among others, uh, recently kind of came up with a with a with with kind of a, a guide, uh, which is by the time you're age thirty, you ought to have saved about one times your salary by. 40, about three times your salary. So I'm going to use 100,000 again because it's easy math. Three times 100,000 is 300,000. You're making $100,000 at age 40. You ought to have about $300,000 saved. And that savings can be in 401ks, it could be IRAs, Roth IRAs, regular savings accounts. Um, by age 50, the, the number is six times. By age 60, it's eight times, and by age 67, which is uh, the, the Social Security full retirement age in a couple years, uh, that's 10 times. The final two ways to teach your kids the value of saving for retirement are to use yourself as an example to your kids or grandkids and to seek professional help. For example, if you're in the San Diego area, you and the family could join us for a one-hour lunch and learn with a certified financial planner on Thursday, November 30th. We'll look back, review the year's major headlines, and discuss what may be ahead. Learn what the data is telling us about the economy's health, what the financial experts predict for the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018, and which details you should pay attention to. Visit purefinancial.com slash market update to register for this free event. Lunch is included. Visit purefinancial.com slash market update. It's something that probably it doesn't apply to a lot of people, fortunately, but if it does apply to you, this is a big deal, Joe. If your spouse is in the military and um, passes away, you'll typically get like a $400,000 life insurance payment. And and if it's in combat, oftentimes you get another $100,000. So it's $500,000 for the surviving spouse. And the surviving spouse is allowed to put that entire $500,000 into a Roth IRA, which is cool. No taxes to be paid on it. And then it goes into a Roth IRA, and all future growth and income is 100% tax-free. Jason Thomas is a new um, advisor of ours. He's a certified financial planner. He's up in L.A., and basically his role is financial education. Uh, We teach a lot of um, adult education courses uh, throughout Southern California. Um, We teach a ton in San Diego. We teach a few in Orange County. Um, And then I think he'll be teaching at uh, UCLA, um, CSUN, 
Um, and there's a couple of other uh, state schools and universities that he'll be teaching at. It's all adult education. It's for, you know, people that are probably anywhere from 50 to 75 that are looking to, you know, do something a little bit better with their money. And he recently came out. He used to teach certified financial planners how to be a certified financial planner. Right. And he's done some online stuff. And he also had this weird contract with the federal government. Yes. Where he worked with um, widows and widowers, yes, survivors, of, of yeah, survivors mm-hmm. and military, and trying to help. Um, let's say if if there was a child that just received five hundred thousand dollars, right? Father, mm-hmm. you know, perished, right? And then it, he said that the the biggest challenge because there's great benefits. You can roll all of that into a Roth IRA. Let's say the the, the individual that received that is twenty years old, right? I mean, all that could compound tax free. That you'll. For, your, you know, your, for your retirement, I mean, your whole retirement's tax free. Yeah, significant, yeah. right? Right. right. Yeah, but his, he, he was like the toughest part was like, all right, no, don't buy the Maserati, right? You know, right. Sure, yes, sure. I understand that you want the Ferrari, you know, yeah. but you know, just you know that, that that is key, just to have that, um, because you've heard the the, the same short sleeves to short sleeves and what two two generations, yeah, right. And then if someone yes. inherits like a large inheritance, and uh, I forget what study, don't quote me on this, I'm guessing, but it was like 18 months where a lot of those big inheritances are gone so yeah it tends to be joe we, we all kinds of studies bear this out when you get money that you didn't really earn yourself it, it just it feels differently right same it's thing happens like, with lottery winners well, or vegas yeah right, right? so you bet a hundred dollars you win five grand yeah what are you gonna do you're gonna like oh i just got four thousand nine hundred dollars free right i'm gonna b- try to b- parlay it's, this it's house money it's let's house money see if i can get a hundred thousand let's, let's do this <laughs> Well, anyway, this rule, this is the, from the Heroes Earning and Assistance, Assistance and Relief Tax Act, which came under George W. Bush. It's a, it's a great benefit, and, and, and you don't, even in military, you don't necessarily even have to be in combat. Like, there's an example. This Car accident. Is, yeah, there's an article written in uh, Investment News Daily uh, uh, about a financial planner that kind of focuses on this, and she was helping a widow of somebody that had been in the military 17 years, still in the military, but died of cancer, unfortunately, but there was a $400,000 death payment that uh, can be rolled into a Roth IRA, 100%. And and this advisor was talking about, she actually works with the custodian. In this case, it was, uh, she was trying to do this to, in Vanguard, and even Vanguard, the whoever she talked to, right. didn't even know, never heard of this yeah, rule. Exactly. Now, sure enough, when this became public, the Vanguard didn't know the rule. Then they then they wrote something. Uh, Vanguard appreciates legislation <laughs> such as the Hard Act that benefits and provides financial flexibility and support to families of our country's servicemen and women. Blah 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 blah. So basically, yeah, a little CYA there. Yeah, l- l- let me educate you first. <laughs> no, you can't do this. Yes, yeah. I can. Here's yes, I can. The, here's the tax law. Yeah. Oh, okay. We, white paper right. coming out next week. <laughs> Hey, we want to share this with you. So you know what? Unfortunately, if it happens to you or somebody that you know, this is a this is a great benefit to make that life insurance payment 100% tax-free, future growth and income. Right. Well, life insurance is always going to be tax-free to you, but the problem then is that, well, that's not really a problem, but you get that de- death benefit tax-free, then you invest it, and then any of the growth you're going to pay capital gains on. But with yeah. this, all the, the, all the growth, the dividends, the interest, and everything else, that's going to be tax-free as well. You bet. Keeping family records current and centrally located is a challenge, but it's especially important when a family member dies or becomes disabled. Make sure you're ready before you need it. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free estate plan organizer. It's designed to help ensure your assets and desires are carried out upon your departure. 
find all the relevant information, fill out the forms completely, keep them up to date, and store them in a safe, easily accessible place for your heirs. To get your free estate plan organizer, just visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. So Joe, do you, um, you suppose some pre-retirees have financial jitters? Oh boy, great segue. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they're very jittery. <laughs> Here's what to do, according to uh, CNBC. Okay. I saw that article, too, and I deleted it. (laughs) (laughs) I should (laughs) have. Getting close to retirement and feeling nervous about your finances? You're not alone. All right. For people facing this major life change, angst over transitioning to non-working years can morph into fears about their savings running out, or even if they had planned... uh, well in advance to prevent it. So, what are you what are you supposed to do? Um, I guess the, the first of all, this, this financial planner says first of all, it's your normal. This is it's. Uh, so I, I guess maybe if you feel like you're abnormal, no, this is a normal thing. But this one um, CFP says take risk off the table. What do you think of that? Is that a good idea? What does that mean, even? Take risk I don't off even the table. know what. Uh, yeah, there's risks in every investment. Let me just educate this CFP real quick. If I keep my money in cash, I'm taking on risk. It's called inflation risk. If I have my money all in bonds, I got term risk. I got credit risk. If I have all my money in stocks, well, then that's market risk. If I have my money in an individual stock, well, that's business risk. If I am trying to take distributions from my overall account and I don't don't have a strategy that is called sequence of return risk. Wow, you're bumming me out. You're if, making me more jittery. Right? If, if I have all my money in, I don't know, um, pork bellies, right? That's called commodity risk. <laughs> Made <laughs> yeah. that one up. Yeah, I know. That's a, but no, I mean, it's just spot. like take risk off the table. I don't know. Take some chips off the table. Why are they talking in like gambling terms? Yeah, right. You have to find out what is the appropriate portfolio for you. What target rate of return do you need to generate? And the amount of money that you have in stocks and bonds has nothing to do with how much risk you can stomach, in my opinion, because a lot of you probably don't want to stomach any of the risk. As soon as you see a dollar drop in value, a lot of us freak out. So you want to make sure that you have a strategy that you have enough fixed income in place to cover your income needs for five to seven years. Right. So they're, they're, um, obviously, she's getting into your asset allocation, stocks versus bonds. And you, you hear a lot of financial planners or people on CNBC, they talk about risk, getting it off the table. That just means probably having a lesser allocation in stocks. And she does, actually, I give her credit for this next statement. She says, um, a person's allocation should be customized to their specific cash flow needs in retirement. Okay. That makes sense, right? right? I'm good yeah, with that. In other words, you figure out what your cash flow needs are and first. And what cash flow needs are is just this. It's like, how much money do you need a monthly basis from your portfolio? From your portfolio, right? Do you need ten grand a month, five grand a month, three grand a month? Right. Figure that out. Yeah, and, and to take that a step further, what do you want to spend and how much do you have in Social Security and pensions? Subtract those two. See what's left over. 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand. That's what you need from your portfolio. Then you look and see what you got. If you got 30 grand... There's no investment in the world that's going to work on that one. Right. Because you have to get 100% return each year, and that's not possible. Right. Right? So then maybe you got to change your budget. Uh, And here's what she says, though, her next best recommendation, if you don't want to do that, 60-40. 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds and cash. What do you think of that? (laughs) 
it's better than I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's better than mo- what, if you don't want to take the time to to do some planning for the rest of your life to make sure that you don't run out of money, that you don't die broke, that you don't call your kids for a loan. Right. If you don't want to just do a little bit of planning, yeah, sixty forty. <laughs> So you you spent th- two weeks planning your vacation. R- more nap. Yeah, and you don't want to spend a day no. trying to figure this out. Sixty forty. You know what? <laughs> Just get on a bus. Here's your next vacation. You know what? If you don't want to go on <laughs> Wikipedia or whatever, your next vacation, walk down to the street, the church that has bingo. Yep, You're going to sit go. down and play right. that all day. You know what? I, this is how stupid that statement is. It's like, okay, here's what you do. Just get on a bus. And then get off whenever you feel it's appropriate. <laughs> what? Yeah, it doesn't You want to put a little bit of planning, you know? Are don't, you, don't you think? You, yeah. Yes, just a little bit, please. All right. Well, 60, 40, what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, that's all I wanted to mention of this article. It, it actually, I, I thought it might be good for a laugh, and maybe it was. Maybe that's not. it? Yeah. That's so, it. okay, if you have jitters <laughs> in retirement, that's the headline take, of the, all right. Yeah, take chips off the table. Or if if you don't want to do that, sixty forty. <laughs> I mean, there's more to it, but it's, how do you how do you nothing. get that published? See, I mean, we could be published. Jeez, this is just. <laughs> I guess it's I don't know. A sixty forty split is a very common balanced portfolio, and it suits many people fine. Yeah, but. How do you know you should be in 60% stocks or 40% bonds? Or shouldn't you be 40% stocks, 60% bonds? How much income are you trying to drive from the portfolio? What is your goals? What is your tax bracket? Where's the money coming from? So I I like the way Paul Merriman just said it. So he's 73. He's got a 50-50 allocation between stocks and bonds. And so in the Great Recession, stocks went down about 50%. And so if he's half in the market, then he would expect his portfolio to go down half of that, 25%. Maybe less because he's got bonds to cushion the blow, and he, as he said, twenty to twenty-five percent. He said, "We're we've signed up for that for this higher rate of return. We've signed up for the downside, knowing that it will recover. If you can't sign up for that downside, then maybe that's not the right allocation right. for you. If you don't understand how much your portfolio potentially could lose." Then you need to do some more homework. I'm telling you, the markets are going to turn. I don't know when. Al doesn't know when, but they are. We all know this. So, are you going to be able to stick with your overall strategy? Do you have the right strategy? You know, you got to spend a little bit more time. Yeah, that strategy might have worked over the last nine years because we've been in the biggest bull markets ever, right? The markets are up 270 some odd percent. From the low of 2009. We're in 2017, approaching 2018. Right. Right? So it's like, all right, well, no, my portfolio is doing well because you have short memories. We, we forgot all about 2008. Or maybe you didn't even have a lot of money in 2008, so you didn't care to begin with. But now that you've accumulated money over roughly the last 10 years, plus the market has given you a nice boost, can you afford to lose X, Y, and Z now that you're getting in your 50s or 60s? You have to relook at this. Do you have enough saved? Do you have a retirement strategy? Can your portfolio and your retirement plan stand up to record low interest rates, skyrocketing health care costs, market volatility, and increased longevity? Can you afford to live to be 90 or 100 years old? 
Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner. There's no cost or obligation to you, and you'll learn highly effective strategies to transform your savings and income in retirement, minimize your risk, reduce your taxes, and help your portfolio withstand today's challenges in a stress test. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or you can send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or alan.clopine at purefinancial.com. I got this email from like, this professor at um, some college in San Francisco. You did? Yes. Very nice. She emailed me and she, she said, hey, um, she was seeing if I was interested in the MBA program. Oh, because you need some help. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn it. I, I did put the two and two together. <laughs> Thank you, Clopine. She's like, hey, I was just down in San Diego. And um, I watched your show. I watched your show. And by the way, you might want to be interested in our MBA program because you are one stupid son of a gun. <laughs> but that Alan, wow, is that guy sharp? I didn't get the email. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, then I got another call. I was listening to the podcast with John Anderson and oh, Big Alan. Oh, oh, I like, saw that, John. I, thought, I knew you were going to love that. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? John. Here's the email question. The okay. last email question of the day. Okay. A few months back, I decided to roll my 401k from a previous employer to a 403b account with my present employer. I didn't quite understand that I was investing in an annuity. Annuity contracts and so many rules worry me. Can I roll it back into a 401k? Should I keep it? I have another nine years before I'm eligible to begin withdrawing the money. What say you, Clopine? Nine years. Well, first of all, um, I'll let you explain the how the four or three Bs work. But um, so yeah, here's probably she's probably a or he or she I don't know what the name is is probably a teacher, and four or three B accounts are they is, always annuities? No, no, no. No, okay. no. Right. She got sold in a new okay. contract oh, within insight, the 403B. Yeah, by the guy that came out. Or Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Or so usually, I mean, if you have hospitals or if you're a nonprofit, if, right, that's where Section 403B comes in. It's just for nonprofits. 401Ks are for-profit, right? Then you got 457s, which are deferred comp plans. You have KEO plans that could be either for-profit or self-employed. You have defined benefit plans. You have SEPs. You have SIMPLES. You right. have TSP, Thrift Simmons uh, plans, and so on. 403B, very popular <clears throat> um, product that goes into 403Bs is an annuity contract. If Let's say if I'm working for a school district. Um because they used to be called TSAs, tax sheltered annuities, right? And then, and then it was. I, I'm not a, a history major on the 403b code, uh, yeah. but that was very popular investment choice for right. educators. So here's probably what happened. 
So he or she is now an educator at a school district, and they have choices of their 403B providers. Mm -hmm. So it's different than your 401K plan. The 401K plan, the employer sets up the plan, and they pick Fidelity or Vanguard or T. Rowe Price or whoever, right, to be the custodian of that overall plan. And then you, as a participant, you have that plan that you can participate in. You can't necessarily say, well, I don't like T. Rowe Price. I want to go to um, Vanguard. Yeah, you're limited to their choices. You're limited to their choices. And there's ERISA rules and fiduciary responsibilities and things like that within the employer to make sure that they offer whatever. But the 403Bs is not necessarily the same. 403Bs is a school teacher, let's say in the city, um, city, San Diego City school system, for instance. You might have a choice of 50 different companies that you can pick from. You can say, well, I want to go to MetLife or AXA or you know American Funds or whatever. You could pick the actual custodian. And a lot of times there's individuals that will go to the schools and they'll represent themselves as like, hey, I'm your 403B provider. And if I'm used to a 401K provider, you might say, oh, you're the 403B person. Great. I need to sign up for my retirement account. Right. All right. Great. Oh, you have this old 401K. Would you like to roll the 401K into your new plan? Sure. I would love that. Consolidate. Right. So what happened is that the 401K that was sitting at whatever custodian that was probably in low-cost mutual funds now went into this annuity contract through the 403B. Probably wasn't disclosed that it was an annuity contract when it went in until after the fact when they got the contract after the money's already been invested and there's probably a surrender charge and so on and so, so forth. So I'm guessing the, the nine years is probably nine years surrender? I'm guessing nine years is when they think it's 59 and a half. Well, that could be either way, right? It could, I'm guessing. It could, it could be that. It or, could, yeah, who knows? It, but, could, it could be the surrender period. But a nine year surrender, it's usually seven, ten. Well, I've never but, heard of a nine. But, but no, but they're year in, let's say. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it could be that. I'm. I, I thought I, I took it as that's when they turned fifty nine and a half to start with. That, that's what I first took it at. But then, but now I think it, it could be. But it could. Yes. The surrender period that's left. Sure. Here's the deal. Now, um, with four hundred three B accounts, to do an in service withdrawal to put it back into a four hundred one k, well, the four hundred one k is dead. Yeah, you can't do that. You left your employer. It's, you can you can put it into an IRA you if, can, if you're eligible. If you're eligible, but I doubt that this person's eligible to do an in service withdrawal from a four hundred three b into an IRA. I doubt it too, because now fifty nine and a half. Now with with four hundred one k's. If you terminate from service at 55, that's one thing. Well, she could leave or he could quit the job. Yeah, go work at another school district. But what they could do, right, it depends on the surrender schedule, right? It, what a surrender schedule is, is it's a, it's a, it's a back-end penalty. It just pays the, the, the insurance agent's commission. They could go to another 403B provider. Let's say Fidelity, for instance. Fidelity's on the platform at San Diego City Schools. I have no idea where this person works. So they could take the 403B from whatever insurance company and move it into the Fidelity plan. Then you have, then you pick, you know, low cost mutual funds right. or whatever. That's even if they're a little bit higher cost mutual funds, it's still going to probably be a lot cheaper than the annuity she's in. Or right. He's in. Right. So. Right. Uh, yeah, so I guess the point of that is just before you move your money, understand what you're getting into. All right, that's it for us, folks. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next week. So to recap today's show... 
The Government Accountability Office says we're heading for a retirement crisis, but you can avoid it if you have a strategy. If you've got pre-retirement jitters, taking chips off the table, or just going with a 60-40 mix of stocks and bonds aren't necessarily the best answers. You need a strategy. If you're going from a 401k to a 403b, make sure you know what you're getting into and make sure you have a strategy. If you're a surviving military spouse, there are special rules that apply to you, so make sure you have a strategy. Sensing a theme here? Special thanks to our guest, Elaine Martin, from Fidelity Charitable. Visit fidelitycharitable.org to learn how a donor-advised fund can help you help others while making the most of your tax strategy. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And thank you so much to our brand new reviewers. And remember, if you have a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.